Hey, before we jump into the podcast, just want to give a quick reminder, if you're new here to the Holistic Nootropics podcast, to please just take a quick second and subscribe to the podcast. It takes literally a second to do. Just hit the subscribe button right there in your podcast player. Also, if you want to help us out, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Now, if you're more of a visual person, you like to actually watch the podcast, you can actually do that over on the Holistic Nootropics YouTube page. Just go to youtube.com, search Holistic Nootropics, You'll see our page pop up. Subscribe to that. Hit the little bell icon so you can get notified every single time new videos drop because we don't just do podcasts over there. We do product reviews. We do all kinds of nootropic and biohacking and holistic health topical videos. So go on over, check us out on the Holistic Nootropics YouTube page. And for all things nootropics, nutrition, and biohacking related, go on over to holisticnootropics.com. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we talk about using nootropics, biohacking, and nutrition to help you boost your cognition. My name is Eric. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. And today on the podcast, I have Don Moxley. Don is an exercise physiologist who specializes in understanding and directing individual changes that alleviate suffering and contribute to the betterment of all people. Uh, he is currently the Director of Applied Science and Brand Development over at Longevity Labs. Dawn is considered a leading voice in the fields of longevity, cannabis, and stress and recovery management using heart rate variability. Dawn, welcome to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast. I am excited to be here. I think you guys do a great job, and I'm, and I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah, and uh, let me tell you, that last bit of your bio there are all things that I am super interested in, so I think we're going to have a, a really cool chat here. Cool. So before we jump into it, just want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at the Biohacking Congress. This is a biohacking conference happening in Miami, Florida, October 16th and 17th. Tickets are on sale right now. And we have been fortunate enough to team up with them over at the Biohacking Congress and they have given us a special discount for all holistic nootropics podcast listeners and viewers. You can get yourself a 50% off ticket to attend the live conference in Miami. Again, uh, the second or third weekend of Miami. All you got to do is head on over to biohackingcongress.com. When you purchase your ticket, use the code HACK50 and you will instantly save 50% off. Now, there is an other option for those of you who maybe are a little hesitant to travel, maybe the whole wearing the mask on the plane thing makes you a little nervous about flying. I totally get it. You can actually watch the Biohacking Congress from the comfort of your own home. You could attend it virtually. And as a listener of the Holistic Nootropics podcast, you have the opportunity to get that ticket for free. So if you want a free virtual ticket, all you got to do is go on over to Apple Podcasts, leave the Holistic Nootropics Podcast a five-star review, take a screenshot of that review, send that over to me at info at holisticnootropics.com. And just like that, I will email you back a free virtual ticket to the Congress. Again, this is a, a huge biohacking Congress with some of the leading voices in the health, wellness, um, biohacking tech field. And it's really one of the first conferences happening in the last two years since uh, COVID took over. So if you're just itching to get out or you're itching to be around some really smart, interesting people talking about all the things pertaining to the latest and greatest in health, wellness, longevity, um, head on over to biohackingcongress.com and pick up your tickets. And with that, Don Moxley, again, welcome to the Holistic Nootropics podcast. I am excited to be here and I'm, I'm really excited to be part of the Biohacking Congress coming up. 
Um, the, that team has put together a wonderful Congress. I, when you look at the list of speakers, if you're into human performance and biohacking or anything at that level, um, it's going to be a wonderful conference. They've got a great, they've got a great situation set up. Yeah. And I, I did, I forgot to mention that Don, our guest today is going to be one of the featured speakers and you're going to get a little taste of what his presentation is going to be all about. And it's, it's one of my favorite topics in the biohacking space right now. Um, and I'm not going to go too far into it, but, uh, or are we going to get far into it? But first I want to let Don, um, tell us a little bit about how you got into this field, how you got hooked up with a, a really interesting company like, uh, like longevity labs and, uh, you know, just basically your origin story. Yeah. So I, I'm trained as an exercise physiologist. Uh, I grew up in Ohio. I was a, a high school wrestler who went to college, uh, wrestled at Ohio State. Uh, at that time, I fell in love with human physiology because I was having to solve problems for myself. And this is back in the early 80s. Um, fell in love with it, had some great mentors that got me on the right path. But I've spent about 25 of the last 35 years as either an adjunct or an assistant professor teaching the exercise sciences uh, around Ohio. Um, but while I've been teaching, I've also had a foot either in the wearable industries or in human performance. Worked with uh, several Olympians, worked with several pro athletes, uh, just finished up a run from 2015 through 18 at Ohio State as their sports scientist for wrestling. Um, in our 2017-18 season, we measured three and a half million data points on a wrestling team. And we got to the point where we could use heart rate variability not only to diagnose performance problems, we could use it to prescribe exercise levels, but we actually got to where we could use it for selection. Um, when we qualified our entire starting lineup for nationals in 2018, that was 10 guys. I could have, we had eight all Americans, which was a school record. We scored a school record points in the tournament. We missed winning the tournament by six points to just a great Penn State team. But um, I could have told you the two guys that wouldn't make All-American the first day of the tournament based on their HRV scores. So so looking at HRV, we, it, you know, we became subject matter expert in that. And it became very interesting. And while I was working in that, um, I was pinged by some folks who work in the cannabis industry. And they said, so what do you know about HRV and cannabis? And I said, well, I know very little. Um, my guys were NCAA athletes. We didn't, you know, we weren't in Ohio, was not a legal state. And I got the invitation to go work in the cannabis industry down in Florida. Um, and I did a deep dive there, jumped in, like I said, called it the deep end of the pot pool, um, started a, 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 a dramatic learning curve, um, understanding terpenes, cannabinoids, you know, all the, the, the key elements and how it hits your endocannabinoid system, um, which, you know, was, was an incredible experience. And, you know, the challenge is cannabis is a batshit crazy business. Um, so it's a difficult business to, to stay in, but, Along the way, I get a call one day from a guy I worked with down there. He said, so what are you doing? And I said, uh, I said, well, I'm looking for a project. And he said, well, have you ever heard of the word spermidine? And I said, nope, first time I've heard that one. Um, and he said, well, you need to do some research on this. And at the time, I was passively, I passively recognized the term autophagy. Um, you know, ketogenics, there was a lot of things in my field that, that were, you know, that were autophagy generators, but I wasn't, hadn't really dug in on that. 
learned what spermidine was, took the job working with them as, as using science to build a brand. And, um, and that's, that's how we wound up uh, working with longevity labs and, and pitching this product called spermidine life. That is such a cool story. And you touched on several things that I'm just so interested in HRV, spermidine and cannabis. And, uh, and, but before we jump into that, I I do want to say with your history as a, you know, as a a performance coach, like a physical performance Mm -hmm. coach and, and, uh, uh, physical activity specialist, I talk to a lot of people on this podcast and I hear a lot of podcasts and I hear a lot of interviews with, you know, quote unquote leaders in the field and, you know, people who are doing these things. And sure, I think doctors and and researchers are doing amazing things. But what I think is so cool about your story is that you have actually applied your knowledge to athletes. And we're talking about collegiate wrestlers, which are, I mean, that is, that is an exhausting sport that requires so much physical strength and endurance. Um, and to know that you could tell how a an athlete would perform just based on their HRV, um, I think that takes the understanding of these metrics to a whole other level. It, it was listen. It was a blessing for me to wind up where I was. That I'm, you know, I'm an Ohio State alum. I was captain of that wrestling team back in the in the mid '80s, and um, and then we had a new coach come in about 15 years ago that reached out to the alumnus, and I had a wonderful. I just had a wonderful experience working with some elite kids, you know, in the room, you know, we had 38 kids in the room, uh, two Olympic medalists, uh, eight, uh, eight national champions, uh, 11 all Americans. That's of the 38 kids in the room. And we were able to utilize. And, and again, one of the challenges in this field, and that's why I call it applied science. Science is data, right? You use data to make decisions, but so many times in human performance, there's so much dogma. It's what is my program and, and, and they, and a school or a program will hire someone because of their program. Well, what we learned is that the program's almost immaterial work. It's important to work hard. It's important to work hard at the right times, but you know what you and I could be on the same wrestling team. Um, we are very different genetic people. Um, and the idea that you can take a single program where it's strength, cardiovascular, whatever, and apply it to an entire team population, frankly, is ludicrous. Um, and, and so, you know, too many times strength and conditioning coaches get caught up in, in what I call their dogma and their religion. It's, it's, it's Catholicism versus Baptist, you know, it's, and, and, you know, listen, we all, they're all reading the same book. Okay. There's no need to get into a discussion about whether, you know, Baptist is better than Catholic. Frankly, that answer is unattainable. You cannot get an answer to that question. But with if you apply science correctly, and one of the beauties of exercise science is we set up, we hypothesize, what's it take to get stronger? What's it take to lose weight? What do we have to do to run faster? We create an experiment. Well, you should do this, this, and this. We execute the experiment. If you'll then collect the data and analyze it, you're going to figure out what's better, what's worse, what's different, what's not. And that's what was really beneficial because we were able to, again, I had a wonderful room of athletes. I, I Again, one of my Olympians, uh, you know, we're recording this right now on August the 6th. One of the guys I worked with is getting ready to compete for a second gold medal tonight. Um, you know, so I went and, and so I've, I've got, I've got people like that. I've got multiple time national champions in wrestling. Um, 
And then I've got really good guys who never wore the singlet in a, in a point scoring opportunity in, in the, but, but they wrestled every day. Right. You know, you know, we, we, we could figure out what makes the difference between a good wrestler, someone who can give points and someone who can uh, uh, become great. And, and that process is important. And I think that process is important to the average person too. If you're out there and you're a biohacker, listen, I mean, how many millions of crazy things are we hearing right now online? about, well, you should do this, or you should do that, or you, this is this, and this is that. At some point in time, you got to take a breath. You got to take a step back and say, okay, where's the science? Where does the science support this? And, and Eric, you and I were talking before we came on the air. You know, we were asking about uh, supplementing spermidine. You know what? I'm not sure spermidine is going to do a lot for you. You're, 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 you've just turned 40 years old. Um, you're pretty early in the, in the curve. We know spermidine levels decrease with age. And that's why I said, you are your parents still alive? If they are, your parents would be great targets for a spermidine supplementation. Um, give me another 10 years on you and you'll start to notice it. Um, but, um, but, you know, but it, it goes back to data. Not everything affects everybody. It's about figuring out what's right for you and, and giving yourself the tools that you need to follow that. And, and frankly, heart rate variability is one of the most important tools you can use. And I became aware of heart rate variability uh, when I started wearing the aura ring. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it's very accurate. I don't know on like a scientific level how we, accurate we think, it is. We think it's the best in the industry. We think it's the best wearable in the industry for HRV. Yeah, it, it, it's a score that I've like over the last year and a half that I've been wearing the ring. Um, I really take to heart when I look at it at the beginning of the day, like, oh, I know where my my wellness is. I know where my stress is. I know where my recovery is. Like I know what my body is communicating sure. um, to me. And I know, you know, I don't always follow the direction. Like if my HRV is low, maybe I should chill today. You know, I push it. I think but, that's a mistake, frankly. Okay. Um, I would love to know more about that. So, so what do you, I think what you look at with HRV is a lot of people want to make uh, an instant decision with it. And I go back again to my to my wrestling team. The coaches at Ohio State know how to train elite wrestlers. They've done it time and time again. OK, along the way, you have some athletes that become outliers that maladapt to the training. That's when you use HRV to see, oh, wait a minute, is this training getting me what I want or is this training? Am I adapting? Am I maladapting? If <clears throat> so, I use heart rate a lot, too. I, I think you're nuts to exercise without wearing a heart rate monitor. It's you're, you're you just it. I think it's the single most important piece of technology you can use. That's that's a pretty strong statement coming from someone like me. Um, and 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 hardly anybody uses them. But if if. If I'm if my training is working, my external load, which we measure in miles per hour or distance or things like that, will increase while my internal load, heart rate, HRV, things like that will remain the same or decrease. OK, so if my HRV is dropping, my heart rate is increasing and my mileage is is or my speed is dropping, I'm maladapting. But. If my heart rate is dropping at a given workload, my HRV is increasing and my speed or my distance are increasing, I'm adapting. So it's this, am I maladapting? And listen, you've got to have days, you've got to have days where you drive your HRV into the dirt. Okay. You've got, you've got to create stress days, but you also have to have a recovery process in place um, to deal with that. 
in the absence of recovery, there's no growth. You know, training is not growth. Recovery is growth. And you've got to be able to track, am I getting recovery? And that's what you get from the HRV signals. Yeah. And even going beyond training, uh, you know, uh, emotional stress, like, uh, for me, uh, a good example is this last, you know, spring I was in school and I was taking, I mean, I hadn't gone to school for years. Then the last year I went to school for the whole year and the second semester, I just decided to take on a, a pretty hefty, you know, school load. And between that and, you know, uh, my business and, and just trying to have like a somewhat normal life. Um, and then of course there's the, you know, lockdowns and COVID and everything going on. Um, by the end of the semester, my HRV was low as it had ever been on the mm -hmm. ring. And I, it's not like I was physically like working harder. I wasn't like, I was working out the same amount. Um, it was just the emotional stress. I think it drove it down. And since now I'm three months into my summer break, I've been meditating every day. The mm -hmm. HRV has risen even on days when I do go hard, uh, right. in the gym, uh, my recovery days are much better. My HRV is much better, but it's just interesting to know that the, the, the psychological stress that you put on yourself also plays a big factor into that. Your, your mind does not know whether it's a real tiger or a paper tiger. Okay. Um, it just knows that there's a stress and you know, one of my, we had two, we had two examples with, with my wrestling team that I found interesting. Number one was, um, so we start school starts in the fall. We start training right away in the fall. You have what we call white weight cutting season. So the guys are working hard, starting to cut their weight down for in season. We have a couple competitions before Christmas, but between Christmas and new year's, they usually go home, they have a break, but when they come back right after new year's, that's when we really go into our hard season. Okay. Okay. And I have about six days after they return from New Year's, I can go do a good, deep training uh, uh, dive. I mean, we can really dig in. Well, when we started wrestling, when we started measuring HRV, you know, we came back and normally the guys get back and we really pound them the day they get back. Well, they get back and I looked at their HRVs coming into practice and I go wave off the head coach. I go, listen, these are the worst HRV measurements we've gotten in two years. Now, we didn't measure them the year before that time. But what we find is family stress is the worst stress. Um, so we had to give the guys a day to recover from being with family wow. to get them back in their routine. So that was that was a that was an interesting observation that we made. So it's important to pay attention to that. Listen, vacation can be stressful. You're changing routines. You're in the sun. There's a lot of things going on. Probably some alcohol in on top of that. Um, you got to pay attention to that. Um, but the other one was one of my, one of my all Americans, um, I walk into practice and his data doesn't look good. And before I have a chance to say something to him, he says, uh, he says, coach Moxley he says, would call of duty be a stressful thing? I thought, Oh my God. Yeah, probably tell me, but he says, I had a hell of game last night. We were going for like three hours. And I said, I won't use his name. I said, listen, I said, your brain does not know whether you're being shot at with a real gun or a fake gun. Your brain just thinks you're being shot at. And, and, and I said, I said, listen, I need you to turn the video games off for a couple of weeks going into the tournament, because listen, we, we are loading as much physiological stress into that practice session as we can. 
I don't need the unknown variable of psychological stress coming from Fortnite or or whatever the game they're playing is. And um, it was interesting because he he shut it down for two weeks and we just saw numbers climb. And, he, and again, he went from sub all American level to all American. And I was, you know, I was very happy with that. Um, so, yeah, it was it's it's an interesting paper tigers, real tigers. Our brain doesn't know the difference. That's incredible. That speaks so much volume. I mean, to just think about like kids health and it's not just kids. I mean, you got 20 year olds, so you got freaking 40 year olds, 50 year olds playing these games. Uh, some people are playing these games and trying to, you know, hold up a marriage, hold up a job. Um, not to mention like, you know, the, the stress of just the stress of when you're a young person in your twenties navigating through college and then just getting out of college and that quarter life crisis as they call it. And then you're mixing in this element that never existed before, which is, am I really being shot at? Am I really in, in grand theft auto and stealing cars and, you know, killing hookers yeah. and all this stuff? Like, where does that fit in to the HRV level? And to know that you've seen that reading in real time. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine for all the people that are doing this and not wearing the ring, uh, you know, just the difference it would make to, to, to let me that. give you the other side of that too. Okay. So we started, so at the time we were using a product called first beat, uh, their bodyguard, and we could do 24, 48 hour measures. And, um, and our head coach is a devout Christian. Um, he's a, and he's a very special person and we wired him up. He was the first person we wired up and we've got a 24 hour reading on him. And normally on these readings, you see when you're awake, it's paras it's sympathetic, sympathetic, sympathetic. You go to sleep. It's parasympathetic. It's pretty clear. And his was, he is Tom's wound tight. I mean, there's no two ways about it, but we're looking at his, at his reading and about 1030, there is this distinct parasympathetic boost. I mean, distinct. And it, this is not an outlier. This isn't like a quick, there's a, there's a, a significant section in there. And, and he came in and we said, Tom, what were you doing last night at 1015? And he stops and he thinks, oh, that's when I do my personal worship. And I'm like, oh, so we now have a physiological marker for worship. And, and we can take this, we extended this even more. I mean, when you start taking a look at spiritual practices, you know, there are some spiritual practices that are sympathetic. They're very guilt-ridden, uh, fear-driven, um, and you'll get a sympathetic response. But if you also have a spiritual practice that is loving, uh, encouraging things like that, you'll get a parasympathetic response. So, so again, it, the, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, you know, down in the Hills of Appalachia and, you know, every, you know, we, we grew up every Sunday with a lecture on hell, you know, the hell floor got hot because hell was coming through the floor and wow. you felt guilty about something you did that week. Um, I don't, I don't believe that anymore. Now that I've started to look at this, you know, I, I still believe in a, in a higher power. There's no doubt. I think there's a lot that's driving us, but I believe in a loving higher power. I believe in an environment that wants the best for you and will give that to you if you open yourself up to it. Wow. Oh, it, this is why it's such a crazy, interesting metric. And man, like if, if we could do anything, if we could do any stimulus as a government, just give everybody an aura ring. Give everybody an aura ring, put the app on your phone and learn this side of your, of your body because it like it has legit changed the way I live my life, you know, like it will, hey, yeah. what was wrong with having, you know, a drink or two before you go to bed. Oh, now I see on the aura, it just wrecks my sleep. It wrecks my deep sleep. It crushes my HRV. Why is cannabis better than alcohol? Exactly. And um, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. I mean, there's no doubt that when you're, when you're measuring, uh, when you're measuring sympathetic, parasympathetic, your, your autonomic system, you're measuring a lot of endocannabinoid system status. Um, and we start taking a look at movement and stress and the, you have a, you have an endocannabinoid that you create when you exercise called anandamide. Okay. That's, that's an incredibly important molecule. You have one that's, that's related to uh, love and sexual behavior called 2AG. Um, these are both powerful uh, endocannabinoids that are supported with exogenous cannabinoid consumption. Um, and we live in a, and, and in fact, my lecture at Biohacker Congress is going to be talking about the environmental changes that we have to pay attention to to hack ourselves around. Um, you know, the, the first two slides I think I'll show, one will be of an orca. Uh, swimming in the wild and you see its dorsal fin that's up straight. And the next slide is an orca in captivity and their dorsal fins are typically curled over. Mm. Um, so there's not enough environmental stress on an orca in an aquarium for it to express its DNA as it's, as we see it in the dorsal fin. Right. And, and we look at our mammals that have been kept in zoos. So the old zoos used to be concrete blocks with bars in front and the, 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 the mammals had an average lifespan of about three and a half years. They didn't reproduce. They were neurotic. They had digestive problems. Sounds like a lot of humans I know. Mm -hmm. um, but you take that same mammal and you put them in an enriched environment. You go to zoos today and they're enriched environments and they're living full lives. They're reproducing. They're expressing their DNA. So what we'll talk about is what side of the aquarium are you on today? You know, I'm sitting here right now looking out my way. I have a great office where I have a full glass window and I'm looking outside. But sometimes you have to ask yourself, what side of the aquarium are you on? Um, and knowing that we go from our house aquarium to our car aquarium, to our work aquarium. Um, what are the things that you need to do to modify? Listen, I'm not suggesting that you give up heat in your home or air conditioning. I mean, you know, but you need to recognize the environmental menopause you're creating for yourself. Mm -hmm. There's you need to recognize your environment and how you change that. And then this extends all the way down to the critical molecules in your food. And that's where that's where spermidine comes into play. You know, spermidine is one of these molecules that's in every cell of our body, men, women, plants and animals. And what we know is it declines with age. But the other thing that we're starting to find is people who live in blue zones have high spermidine contents in their diet. Spermidine is a critical trigger in this process called autophagy. Um, and there's, there's, and we'll spend time talking about this in the presentation, but there are multiple triggers to autophagy. Spermidine just happens to be a key facilitator. Um, but we've got these triggers and we see this carry through from neuroprotection, uh, cardiovascular protection, um, you know, to immune system support. We, we know that the coronavirus attacks the autophagy cycle. We know that where the there's what's called an autophagion, that's an encapsulated part of the of the junk of the cell. It bonds with a lysosome and that's where the digestion starts. Well, COVID interferes with that process. Um, well, if it's interfering with that process, you have other autophagy triggers that can finish it for you. You don't just need the immune trigger. And this is one of the important things. And, and I think it's a good explanation why one person can do well with a virus and someone else won't. Um, it's part of your preparation. It's part of the hacks that you put together to, to, to get through. Wow. Oh, man. So much to unpack there. Um, first, I think you gave me the title of the podcast, which will be how to avoid environmental menopause. 
So, (laughs) um, but, and I want, I so badly want to jump into the, to the spermidine and the cannabis, but I just have one more HRV question. That's fine. Uh, It's pretty like fastball right down the middle. What is a good HRV? What does that look like? It it, is, if it's better than yesterday, it's good. Okay. Um, There's so, we, we know that my athletes that are trying to achieve a certain level have to have a certain level of recovery in order to, you know, to wrestle the NCAA tournament and to win the five matches that you need to win, the three to five matches that you need to win to make All-American. It, it's about your ability to recover. Okay. And if you don't have recovery, you won't have the ability to go from match to match to match to match and eventually get the wins that you need to make all American. And, and, and what we saw in our room is again, my Olympic gold medalist had the highest HRV in the room. My national champion, my Olympic silver medalist was second. My, my national champions were third, but they were all with it. They were all in a tight zone. Um, and then it dropped to a point to where if someone didn't have a HRV above a certain level, they couldn't make all American. They could qualify for the tournament. They were good. They won a lot of matches, but they just could not win the number of matches they need to make all American. So HRV like spermidine declines with age. Um, and you want to be engaged in practices that boost this parasympathetic response. Meditation is a wonderful tool. Okay. Meditation is an important life hack. We, you know, we don't hunt and gather anymore. Um, You know, when you're hunting, you're out in the woods, you're usually by yourself. You're being very quiet. You're very focused. It's very much a meditative process. Um, We don't have to do that anymore. So we need to imitate that. We need to bring that into our environment artificially. Now we used to, um, we use sensory deprivation float tanks uh, aggressively. Um, They work really well for raising HR. And there's other tools too. Um, you know, there's uh, there's lots of ways. And I'll tell you, I'm more impressed with the with the value of light therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I'll talk about in my presentation is what are the big rocks in the jar of longevity. Um, and if you, if you, if you, if you read Stephen Covey's book, the seven habits of highly effective people, he talks about, if you've got a pile of rocks and gravel and sand, you got to get the rocks in the jar first and then fill in with the gravel and finally the sand. So what are the big rocks of longevity? Well, there it's, it's clear. The number one big rock for longevity is movement. It's exercise. Okay. Second, you have to take a look at, do you have nutritive dense foods? Um, so what you eat, And when not to eat is important because this concept of autophagy currently is not taught in nutrition classes. Mm. Okay. Nutrition is typically taught. We call it Wardwell nutrition, uh, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, vitamins, minerals, water. Here's how you read a a food label and the semester's over. Um, But this process of autophagy and triggering it with when you eat or when you don't eat or what you support it with, I believe will be in the nutrition textbooks in a decade. I think it'll be an important topic. We live in a calorie toxic environment. We have so many calories available to us that we never get into the cellular cleaning process of autophagy, or we certainly it's lowered dramatically. And what we see is that in any time that you upregulate autophagy, whether through uh, caloric restriction or uh, caloric restriction memetics, we see an upregulation of autophagy and we see numerous health benefits come with it. Um, We think, um, we think spermidine at some point in time will be considered a nutritional essential nutrient. 
uh, because it's just so difficult to get in our row crop produced foods. Um, we, I mean, we're having to get ours out of Central Europe. Um, it, we've not been able to get it out of American markets yet. Um, so, you know, where your food comes from is important. Absolutely. And um, with spermidine, you call it spermidine. I say spermidine. Uh, tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. Um, I'm aware that naturally you're going to find it in, uh, I believe, wheat, uh, wheat germ. Um, wheat germ, mushroom, some cheeses, NATO. Uh, NATO. The, the, yeah, the fr- which I, I mean, if that means, if I have to eat that to live longer later, I'm, I'm done. You know? Right. I, I can't choke that down. Right. So with, with spermidine, sperm, now you got me saying it's spermidine, uh, spermidine, (laughs) you've evangelized me into spermidine as a church of spermidine, um, with spermidine, uh, you know, knowing that, okay, it can be kind of difficult to get from food. Now we've got these supplements coming out Mm -hmm. and we're talking about autophagy. When somebody takes it, how do they start feeling? How do you know it's working in the first place? So, uh, you know, like I said early on in our in our call, I'm, I'm not sure you'd feel a difference. You're young. Your spermidine levels are probably high. You know, unless unless your diet is just awful um, you're, you're, and you don't have some natural sources of it in there, you're probably not going to get it. But your parents, if your parents were started taking it, what we would expect within three to five weeks, they're going to immediately notice a change in hair, skin, and nails. Hair is going to be fuller. Nails are going to grow faster. Skin will be more supple. And what this goes back to is that the increased autophagy improves stem cell production at an epithelial level. The cells that make your skin, hair, skin, and nails upregulate their stem cell progress and it becomes better. So these are some of the first things people notice. The second things they notice is improved sleep, um, you, know, you know, particularly on something like your aura ring. But something that aura doesn't record is you get um, uh, a deep um, dream driven sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm taking a lot of it, man, it's it's lucid dreaming. Um, so that's a wonderful byproduct. Um, and then, frankly, you know, there, we have a lot of people if you if you purchase spermidine life, um, you will in our marketing program, you will get an invitation to have a call with either me or one of our other team members. And I've, I've probably taken three or 400 calls of people who have used our product. I've taken several calls of people who said, listen, I started taking, I didn't notice it. I stopped taking it. And two weeks later, I noticed how bad I felt mm. started back. So the onset can be very gradual. It's not, you know, spermidine is not like hitting a receptor on your, on your central nervous system. Okay. It's not nicotine or, or, or caffeine or cocaine or, you know, any of those or, or THC or, or any of the, you know, they're hitting a receptor in your, in your nervous system. It's going deep in the cell. Okay. Um, and as you upregulate autophagy, you upregulate. And the first thing you notice is hair, skin, and nails. And can you talk about where spermidine comes from in the body? Because for most people, like you said, first of all, most nutritionists, most doctors know nothing about autophagy. So this is a foreign concept, but I think over the last 10 years, it's become a little bit more mainstream, at least in terms of like the biohacking community, but this idea of spermidine, you know, when I'm trying to think of the cell, when I'm trying to think of, you know, the immune system, when I'm thinking of the blood, I don't know exactly where it fits in. So, so maybe you can explain kind of where it all comes from. So spermidine production in your body comes from one of three areas. Um, It'll be directly absorbed from food. 
Um, that's one way. Um, the second way is you will upregulate spermidine production in the gut. Um, so depending on the amino acids and so forth that you're putting in your diet, you can have an upregulation of it in the gut. But also spermidine is, is synthesized on a de novo process in the in the cell. A polyamine it moves from a it moves from an amino acid to a polyamine called putrescine. Uh, then it's it's synthesized into uh, spermidine, and then there's spermine, and it'll move back and forth depending on the demand in the cell. Um, so it's typically happening in the cytosol of the cell. So you can either eat it and increase it, you can increase it in in, uh, in the production in your gut, or your cell will produce it in the cell on a de novo basis. Yeah, and it, and you mentioned the gut. You know, just another testament to how important the right bacteria, the right microbial balance in your gut, it synthesizes all the right stuff. Sure. Absolutely. You know, listen, the gut is the final frontier right now. You know, we're still, we're, we're just recognizing the value, let alone understanding the process. And there's just so much to go there, but we know how important it is. Um, So yeah, that gut's critical. It's for, for many things. Can you explain how spermidine does induce autophagy? Well, it it, um, it, intu- it induces the process at a very high level in starting the process of autophagy. In, in, a, in autophagy, um, you have you have. In fact, I can't tell you the number of proteins right off the top of my head, but you have any number of proteins that support different steps of the autophagy process. Spermidine, and we see a trigger of autophagy coming from increase in reactive oxygen species, from heat stress, from exercise stress, from calorie restriction, multiple stresses, the cell recognized and said, hey, we need some energy here. And, you know, those two big energy sensing parts of the cell, mTOR, um, and AM, AMP, AMPK, you know, those are two big sensors in there that are triggering the process. But what we know, as we increase spermidine, we increase autophagy. Um, so it's it's certainly a key element at that level. So we're talking like reactive oxygen species, inflammation, this can sabotage your natural spermidine levels. Well, what I would say is as spermidine levels drop, autophagy drops and you increase the level of inflammation. I've gotten to the point where when I think of inflammation, it's the opposite of autophagy. When I have good autophagy going on, I have low inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm inflamed about some, listen, uh, one of the, I've had, I've now had eight knee surgeries, five on one knee and three on the other. Um, and my knees can be fit, but I take a lot of glucosamine and chondroitin uh, as a supplement. It is an autophagy stimulant in the, the cells in the knee. Um, so it lowers inflammation by boosting autophagy. It's, uh, you know, so anytime that you have an inflammation response, every time you have that happening, it's probably a drop in autophagy that's driving it. Sure. And so someone's listening to this and they go, okay, I, I'm all about this anti-aging stuff. I am all about autophagy. I, I, I fast, I do the intermittent fasting. Is spermidine something good to uh, use in a fast? Well, yeah, and this is what our medical professionals are telling us. They're using it. It's um, it's kind of like oil in the engine. Okay, mm-hmm. you want to run the engine hard. You got to have things there to grease it up and keep it going. Well, spermidine is one of the key molecules in driving that autophagy process. As you age, if you fast when you're old, but you have low spermidine levels, your autophagy won't be as efficient as if you fast when you're old with high spermidine levels. It increases the efficiency of the processes. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. 
and and people who live well, people who live well into their 90s and hundreds have high spermidine levels in their systems. So when the autophagy process is happening, it's happening efficiently and effectively. And you're not developing these inflammation based diseases that come with aging. And is there um, a, a time of day that's optimal for supplementing? No, we, we recommend that you supplement with food. Um, okay. So our, our team in Austria, you know, we, we don't see, you know, with, with, uh, with things like uh, uh, NAD or NMN or NR, um, there, there, it looks like there's a diurnal process to nicotinamide riboside in your system. So it probably makes sense to supplement your NR morning and night because it peaks evening and day. Um, we don't see, we don't see that so far. We don't have, we don't have any evidence to suggest that's the case. Um, so, so spermidine, they're recommending that you get a basal levels, uh, you know, a base level intake. Um, we, we recommend you take it the same time of the day, probably with food, um, so that you can take, take full effect of that mitochondrial, uh, process. And I think you mentioned this, but is there, like you were saying, there is no, um, you know, it's not like tobacco or drugs or, or, or alcohol. Yeah, it's not hitting a receptor. Okay. So there's not going to be like a tolerance to it. Like you're not going to wear yourself out of it. No, we don't. Again, we, what we see is there's a natural decline with age. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we have got, we've got, we've tested. So our, our recommended daily uh, consumption recommendations, one milligram a day. Um, we've tested up to eight times that for safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that we won't change the recommendation as the science changes. So we are a very science-based company before we make a recommendation. It's going to be based on the fact that we've got data to support that. Um, and you know, that's kind of how we roll. Now, in, in fact, let me put it this way. We do have some evidence that high spermidine content uh, intake uh, can be beneficial for a short period of time. So we actually have a product that we'll be releasing this fall that's a six milligram per day supplement, but you don't do it every day. It's, it's six milligrams for a month. It's only going to be available through physicians. Um, so, um, again, the science on this is, is expanding quickly. Um, and, um, that's why we think it's important to keep our public plugged into what we know. Yeah. This is all great. Great to know. So where does cannabis fit into this anti-aging equation? You know, cannabis is going to fit into the anti-aging equation more on daily stress management. Um, I think, and, and again, cannabis, that's a big word, right? Yep. Um, there's a lot that goes in. And one of the challenges with cannabis that I see is that, you know, we legalize cannabis in the States on the back of epileptics and, um, cancer patients. But as soon as we legalize it, medical or recreational, it become it immediately becomes an adult use rec market. Um, and it's all about the THC content. And, you know, one of these days when this market matures, people are going to recognize the therapeutic value of lower levels of THC, higher levels of CBDA and higher contributions of specific terpenes um, that are going to be that are going to be remarkably therapeutic. Um, unfortunately, we, the market just isn't there yet. Um, so but. But I do think, you know, I was I was in Florida at a pain conference down in Palm Beach at the Breakers in Palm Beach. And we had this wonderful little um, Jamaican medical assistant came by the booth we were working. And she says, you know, I used to grow this in our backyard. And uh, my father was a farmer and he would take it and he would soak it in our finest rum. 
So not only would they soak it in rum, so this is the ethanol extraction of the cannabinoids and terpenoids. It was their finest. They didn't use the crappy rum. They used their best rum for this. And she said, when I would have menstrual cramps, they would give me a shot of in my orange juice and it solved it. Um, she says, my father would take that and rub it on his knees at night for pain. And I, and I was listening to that story and listen, science, science is written with data but culture is changed with stories. Okay. And I love listening to the stories around this area. And when you take a look and she's telling that story. And, and what I heard from that story was ethanol extraction, not decarboxylated um, cannabinoids, full spectrum terpenoids. Um, there's a lot to be said there that frankly, the markets just isn't in, you know, I travel to California and Colorado and I, I see and, and Florida and I see a lot of these markets. It's still an adult use rec market. It's, you know, it's what, it's what, what feeling do I get when I smoke this? And, and frankly, I'm not a smoker. Um, I don't think my lungs adapt. Well, you know, I I'm, I'm always smoking on a ceremonial level. I like it from a, from a, from a spiritual level. We see it in spiritual traditions forever. Right. Um, but smoking on a daily basis, I just don't think our lungs are ready for that, let alone inhaling a lot of oil on top of that. Um, so I'm more of a tincture transdermal kind of a person from a therapeutic level, um, our, our oral mucosa is well evolved to absorb some of those molecules. Transdermal, it has a wonderful effect in pain mitigation and inflammation. But um, I, I think I think cannabis can be a wonderful part of a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on the and in full disclosure, I am a uh, THC um, influence. Yeah, yeah, devotee, yeah. Uh, yeah. sommelier. Uh, I love me some THC, but I will tell you, like, as I get older, the, the enjoyment I get from THC has, has definitely waned. And I'm more into the idea of the entourage effect with the different cannabinoids. And now I'm seeing these other, um, I believe they're cannabinoids like CBG, CBN coming out. Um, you know, we've got people, uh, doing Delta eight THC. Um, so I'm not, I'm not totally sold on that's a synthetically derived, uh, right. cannabinoid. So I'm not ready to go there. And, you know, I, I, uh, there's a store here, uh, in Puerto Rico, I went to that sells, you know, Delta eight and I smelled it and I've smelled a lot of weed and it just didn't smell right. No terpenes, no terpenes. Remember the smell is terpenes. Okay. Mm. That's the important part. Um, and, um, and I, a lot of people listen, Again, cannabis has evolved. We, you know, it was it was part of the American pharmacopoeia until 1945. 1942, they passed the Marijuana Tax Act. At that time, the AMA was arguing to leave cannabis alone. It is a wonderful therapeutic tool. Um, but the Marijuana Tax Act kicked in, you know, all the issues that go with that, not to mention, you know, whether it's paper production or rope production or or you know, oral uh uh NSAIDs. Um a lot of stuff going on at that level, right? In the seventies, it gets classified as a schedule one and really gets dangerous to possess and have. And all of a sudden the production goes underground. And again, the market is THC. You know, people are growing this because they, they want the, the, they want the, uh, the effect of smoking THC and I get it, but the product changed dramatically. 
um, from the products that we would have had back in the late seventies um, in, in up until that point. So I think it's, you know, there's so much hybridization going on. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. The, the agri science is, is off the chain. Yeah. I mean, some of the best agri science, I think in American agriculture. Um, but, um, but at some point in time, you know, the land race uh, of forms, are not even available anymore. You can't even find the original forms. Um, but as we, as we are able to study it more, um, as we're able to pay attention again, there's a lot of good work going on over in Israel. There's a lot of good work going over in Europe, looking at, at, at key therapeutic elements as that data becomes better and more available and the medical or the functional medicine community gets better at, prescribing it and using it and not creating problems and manufacturers at some point in time have to say, okay, we're going to service this market. No one's doing it yet. You know, um, I can go out and change the oil in my car and put it in a bottle and call it CBD and sell it. And I can give a lot of people a bad experience. Um, there's a lot of that going on right now. If you're buying CBD at, at yard sales and, and flea markets and things like that, you don't know what's in there. So you don't know what the effect is. Um, so being able to find the right product that you know has the key elements, whenever you, whenever I've seen it, it becomes incredibly beneficial. And that's, that's part of our challenge with that particular molecule or those molecules. Yeah. I have a bit of a, uh, coming to Jesus moment with CBD where I, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, it, it started really peaking in popularity and I'd use some tinctures and it just wasn't, I was like, this is so weird. Like, I don't get it. It's not doing anything. Then I was in Vegas and it had just become legal in Vegas. And I went to the store that was a little off the strip and there, you know, they've got, they've got herbs, you know, they got herb like in counters. I was, and it was like, I was like, Oh my God, I'm in a pot store. Like, it's amazing. And they're selling like sativa indica. And then I'm like, I'm, I dropped like 50 bucks on some sativa. What I thought it was like a, like a pre-roll joint or whatever. And, uh, or a couple of them and I'm smoking it. And I'm like, I am not getting high at all. And I realized it was CBD. And then I started to feel like some actual effects, like, I wasn't high, but my body was feeling very calm. Right. It was like, it was like my, my, and I hadn't had an aura ring at that point. So I didn't know like what was going on with my HRV, but I can tell you actually smoking the pure grass, as far as I know, it was as pure as I know. Um, well, it, was, it was, it was a hemp, it was a hemp based flower. Yep. Um, so I had low THD, high CBD, but again, I cannot, I cannot overestimate or over uh, make importance any higher, the terpenoids that go with the cannabinoids may be more important than the cannabinoids themselves. Yeah. On feel and effect. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of other molecules in there. Um, and you know, this is, this is one of the things, and, and it's one of the things we drive in our spermidine life product that, that we don't have a synthetically de uh, developed spermidine product. We do a whole plant extract. So not only are you getting mm -hmm. the spermidine with our product, but you're getting some of the putrescine, you're getting some of the spermidine, you're getting that whole plant extract from the weed germ. And the only thing that we use to refine it is water. Um, you know, that's an important part. We're not using supercritical CO2 or ethanol or things like that, like you do in, in cannabis. We're just using water to, to, to uh, refine the, our extract down to a high CBD content extract and a, and a very, very low amount of gluten. Wow. A little bit, but a very, very low amount. Well, this has been such an interesting chat, Don. Uh, I, I really appreciate your time because we got to talk about so much stuff that I'm so interested in. I feel like we just barely scratched the surface of some of these uh, surface of some of these 
super, super fascinating topics. Um, if someone want to learn more about you or get their hands on some of this uh, spermidine that you're talking about, where would you send the listener or viewer? So if you want to learn more about spermidine, go to spermidinelife.us. Spermidine, S-P-E-R-M-I-D-I-N-E. L-I-F-E dot U-S. If you go to dot com, you'll wind up at our at our Austrian site. But dot U-S. Um, and I'll tell you what, Eric, I'll get you a, a discount code in the show notes. Uh, it, let's have them put in Eric, E-R-I-K 15 to get a 15% discount if they like. Um, we'll get that code set up. And um, and again, you know, one of the, listen, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on all the socials, Don Moxley. You'll find me there. Uh, a lot of my human performance podcasts or my weed podcasts, you'll find up on, um, on LinkedIn in my profile. I tend to put a recording of all those up there. Um, so that's a good way. And, um, or you can come see us at the biohacking Congress down in Miami. Um, we are really excited about being there again. I approach this. You're not going to get a spermidine lecture. When I do my talk, you're going to get a human performance lecture. This is, this is, listen, it's about alleviating suffering and contributing to the betterment of well people. That's my personal mission. And the key elements for that, I go back to the rocks in the jar, exercise, food, sleep, light. Okay. Those are the four big rocks, but you also have to have a jar and the jar is your purpose in life. You know, I used to define myself as an exercise physiologist and thought I had to teach or coach when I, when I said, no, let's go ahead and define yourself by mission, alleviating suffering, contributing to the better mental well people. It gives me the leeway to move into things like cannabis or into um, polyamines helping individuals change their life. And, you know, listen, I turn 60 next year. Um, my daughter is just finishing up grad school. My wife and I are moving into what we call the third third of our life. Um, I have a, one of the things I'll talk about in my lecture is that I break your life into three thirds. You, the first third you spend learning. Uh, the second third you spend in service to others, either work or your family or your children or things like that. But then you move into your third third, which is your third. And you want that to go as long as you can. You want that trip of the lifetime. I want to, you know, I, listen, I've coached some amazing amazing athletes, but the best coaching experience I've ever had was my daughter's eighth grade field hockey team. Um, I want to coach my grandchild's eighth grade field hockey or lacrosse or something like that, that, you know, so that is my objective for my third, third, to be a, a vigorous contributor to the, the, to the people and family around me. And so that's what we do. And that's kind of where my mission comes from. And that's my jar. Um, so that's why, and that's why I pay attention to my four big rocks, but then we fill in the gravel around it. You, um, if you look way to the right of this image, you'll see the front of my sauna. You'll see, we use red light therapy in my house. We have, I mean, we invest in this in our family. And, um, and I think that's an important part of, of longevity. That's amazing. That's such a great way to, to, to wrap this whole thing up and, and give a sneak preview of, of why you should go see Don chat. Uh, or speak at the Biohacking Congress. Don, thank you so much for your time. Folks, listeners, viewers, go on over to the holisticnootropics.com website, catch the show notes of this, take Don up on his 15% discount, and uh, and hopefully you can go watch him speak at the Biohacking Congress and up your performance game. Don Moxley, thanks so much again for joining me today. I'm so excited for people to listen to this, watch this, because uh, I enjoyed this chat, and I know the listeners will too. Thanks, Eric. You got it. And for more on all things holistic nootropics, head on over to holisticnootropics.com. In the meantime, we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace.
Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com.